The New Testament reading for this morning is taken from the book of Hebrews, beginning in the 12th chapter of the 18th verse. It is written, Unlike your ancestors, you didn't come to Mount Sinai, all that volcanic blaze and earth-shaking rumble to hear God speak. The ear-splitting words and soul-shaking message terrified them, and they begged him to stop. And when they heard the words, if an animal touches the mountain, it's as good as dead, they were afraid to move. Even Moses was terrified. No, that's not your experience at all. You've come to Mount Zion, the city where the living God resides. The invisible Jerusalem is populated by throngs of festive angels and Christian citizens. It is the city where God is judged with judgments that make us just. You've come to Jesus, who presents us with a new covenant, a fresh charter from God. He is the mediator of this covenant. The murder of Jesus, unlike Abel's, a homicide that cried out for vengeance, became a proclamation of grace. So don't turn a deaf ear to these gracious words. If those who ignored earthly warnings didn't get away with it, what will happen to us if we turn our backs on heavenly warnings? His voice that time shook the earth to its foundations. This time, he's told us quite plainly, he'll also rock the heavens. One last shaking from top to bottom, stem to stern. The phrase, one last shaking, means a thorough house cleaning, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. Do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship, deeply reverent before God. For God is not an indifferent bystander. He's actively cleaning house, torching all that needs to burn, and God won't quit until it's all cleansed. God is fire. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh God, give us a pure heart that we may see you, a humble heart that we may hear you, a heart of love that we may serve you, and a heart of faith that we may abide in you. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to your word for us this day. Amen. Webb Young is a man who grew beautiful apples up near Yakima in the state of Washington. He even advertised them as perfect. Well, one year, just before time to harvest the apples, a hailstorm hit. Well, it did not harm the apples, but it did leave unsightly brown spots on them. And a lesser man would have given up and written off the crop, but Webb thought and thought until he came up with an idea. And he went ahead and harvested and packed the apples. But inside each box, he placed a printed card. 
and has stated this truth. These apples were grown at an altitude far above sea level. It is the chill of the altitude that makes the apples so firm. But in such an altitude, there are sometimes hailstorms. And if one will look closely at each apple, hail marks can be seen. And that's why these apples are so special. That's why this year I'm sending out hail-marked apples. Well, the next year, the overwhelming majority of his orders were for hail-marked apples. You know, travel agents rarely advertise tours to the sparse desert areas of the Holy Land. Most people, it seems, just aren't that interested in roaming the wild wilderness around Mount Sinai, where hot winds blow across barren sand and rock. Yet if we think about it, it's the harsh areas of Palestine that God seemed to meet the children of Israel the most. It was the rugged, cruel landscape that helped produce Abram, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, Paul, the other patriarchs, apostles, and the prophets. It seems to me that it was in the fierce places of the Bible lands where people frequently encountered God. I think there's a special connection to the images of God that come to us out of harsh, rugged landscapes. Those that remain really primitive compared to our pressing concerns. There's something about the remote and fierce landscapes of our own lives that help us often to finally find God and discover deeper aspects about ourselves as we journey. Moses on the mountain, Elijah in the cave, Jesus in the wilderness, Paul on the stormy sea. These enduring and faith-filled lives were formed in part by fierce environments. Tell me the landscape in which you live, wrote Jose Ortega Gasset, and I will tell you who you are. John Muir, the naturalist, put it another way, the crueler the habitat, the stronger the character, he wrote. You know what the Hebrews found in the untamed landscape of the Sinai was a God who actually courted them into a deeper relationship and a deeper maturity. They experienced a God of depth, a God of care, and a God whose presence did shake mountains and even scared Moses. Yet God still spoke out of that fierce landscape, out of a whirlwind, a thick cloud over a barren land. And the fierceness of the commands matched the fierceness of the place in which they were given. And I think in part this holds true for us today, especially when we encounter our own desert-like experiences in our spiritual journeys. The fiercer they are, the more likely we will find God, I think, and the richer our lives ultimately will become. There's a radio personality named Ted Malone, who had a show in the western part of the country. And he once got a letter from a shepherd in Idaho with an unusual request, and he wrote, Will you on your broadcast strike the note A? 
I'm a sheep herder way out here on a ranch far away from a piano. And the only comfort I have is in my old violin. And it's all out of tune. Would you strike an A that I might get it in tune? Well, the radio personality honored his request and later he received a thank you note from the shepherd who said thank you. Now I'm in tune. You know, in contrast to the scene at the foot of Mount Sinai, the writer of Hebrews turns our attention to Mount Zion. And the picture of Mount Zion is one where people are joyfully welcomed, where they're identified and welcomed into the whole gathered assembly. And it is in this joyful context where people meet God who now resides there. And God is not alone. Also present are the spirits of the righteous, throngs of Christian citizens, and festive angels, and there at the center is Jesus, who presents us with a new covenant, a pure proclamation of grace, just grace. And then the prophecy of Haggai is now carefully recalled, a prophecy which predicted that while God shook the earth at Sinai, there would come an even greater time when God would cause both the heavens and the earth to shake, and this shake will take away everything which is not kingdom-related, everything that's not kingdom-related. So what is left is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. All else, all else, will fall away. So what we claim to believe, folks, is much more than the light show on Mount Sinai. The future that we have come to expect is more wonderful than the beautiful city of Jerusalem. You see, the Christian has been given something eternal and unshakable in a world that really is instant gratification, instant gratification and all too often very temporary at best. Following the example of this wonderful passage from Hebrews, I think, may we once again be reminded of the power of the Christian life. Because we continue to be participants in the greatest story ever told. And we need to keep reminding each other of the difference faith makes in our lives and of the accompanying joy that it brings to us. Maya Angelou once wrote, and I quote, Of all the needs, and there are none imaginary, a lonely child has. The one that must be satisfied if there's going to be hope and a hope of wholeness is the unshaken need for an unshakable God. If you don't hear anything else this morning, please hear this, folks. We worship an unshakable God. And the shaking that God continues to do reveals more and more of the kingdom all around us. May we be stirred to respond. Amen.